Hey, if you are a guest today, we are closing out a series uh, that we've been doing now, short little series, only three parts. It's called Mature, and it's about the theme all throughout Scripture that we're actually supposed to mature. We see it this way in Ephesians 4. It says that we may no longer be children, but rather we are to grow up in every way. Well, here's the truth. Everyone grows older, not everyone grows up, especially spiritually. A lot of people may go to church or become a Christian, but they don't ever actually grow. Matter of fact, if I could, I'd like to draw your attention to the screen behind me. If you've been looking at the image behind me throughout the series, you may have wondered, what does that have to do with mature? It would have made a lot more sense to have like a baby over there and an adult over here. Well, we kind of did that just in a different context. You see what you have over here is a baby house, like really baby, like hadn't quite been born yet. You've got the dream, you've got the plan, you've got the hope. It's called blueprints. And so what you do is you take blueprints, you hire a contractor, you give them some money, and you hope it grows up into the house you get to move into someday. Imagine that you come up with the blueprints and you get the money and you give it to a contractor and you show up a year later and the blueprints are laying on the ground and there is no house. You might be a little bit disappointed because you were expecting the blueprints and the resources and the contractor to do their job and to grow it up into a house. It's a beautiful picture because God has given us all of the blueprints we need to grow up and God has given us all of the resources we need to grow up. That's what this whole series has been about. We've looked at three passages in scripture that tells us what we will look like if we're spiritually mature. And so I'm not making these up. If you didn't like them, you can't blame me. We're simply looking at what the Bible says. If you have grown up spiritually, this is what your life will look like. If you were here for, for, part, if you were here for part one, we talked about when you're spiritually mature, you have an eternal perspective over an earthly perspective. What that means is because we know there's a more important thing coming that is for eternity, that we don't get caught up in some things that happen in this life. We see our pain differently. We see our marriages differently. We see our suffering differently. We see our money differently, our resources and our time. Everything changes because we know what we're doing on the earth is not everything. The second thing we learned, when you're spiritually mature, you surrender to God's word over your wants. This is a controversial thing to even teach. But again, I'm just showing you what the Bible says about spiritual maturity. You see, a lot of us, well, we decide what we want to do or we decide we want to do what the world is doing. But God says, I have a different idea. Spiritually mature people are the ones who choose what God says over what they want. Again, don't get mad or offended at me, but here's the way we said it last week. If you're spiritually immature, you do what you love. But if you are spiritually mature, you do what God loves because you love God. Well, today we're simply moving on to a simple idea that if you are spiritually mature, you are changed. You're, you're being changed. Like something's different because you've made Jesus your king. You know, as a pastor, I meet with people and I'll say, hey, man, what's going on? What's God doing in your life? And way too often I get answers kind of like, Oh, well, you know, come on, man, you know, God's, God's just working on me. Y'all find that funny, don't you? I'm like, tell me, tell me about it. Tell me about this work God's doing. Oh, man, you know, man, God's just, he's just up in my business, you know, just God's just. Look, if that's how you answer that question, that's because you're not being changed very much. 
See, when you're being changed, you can actually give an answer. Oh, I tell you, God's teaching me to stop talking to my wife that way. Or God's teaching me that four-letter words, every other word, not the best way to represent him. Or, or God's teaching me that I'm greedy. Or God's, you know, whatever. If, if God's changing you, you have an answer to that question. And, and so maybe the better question, I shouldn't meet with people. I should meet with their spouse and say, what is God doing in your spouse's life? I had a guy come to me in the lobby after the service. And he said, you can ask my wife. She'll tell you I'm getting weird. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but anyway, apparently he's bragging about it. So here's the question. I'm going to provoke you a little bit as we get into the message today. Since you've made Jesus your king, how are you changed? I'm going to make it tougher. Since Jesus is your king, how are you recently and specifically being changed? We need to be able to answer that question because what we're going to see today, the Bible's going to show us that the third mark of spiritual maturity is that you're being changed and people can see it. You're being changed and people can see it. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 8. If you don't, don't worry. It's all going to be right here on the screen. Uh, but this is a story of Jesus teaching. People are coming to him. And so we're going to start in verse 4. And it says, When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, if you're new to church, a parable is a practical story that everyone would understand, something that's a picture of daily life, but has a spiritual meaning. And so as Jesus told this story, everybody would go, oh, I get it. It makes sense, right? So he said, a sower went out to sow his seed. They can go, oh, a farmer planting a field. I get it. I see the picture. And as he sowed, some fell along the path. And was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. They can imagine, yeah, you know, when a, a farmer's throwing out the seed, some of it lands in the field, some of it lands where the horses walk. Yeah, I, I get that. You see, they're seeing the picture. So he goes on, he says, And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. They can see that picture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. Now, here's the thing about a parable. Because it is a picture with a spiritual meaning, sometimes you have to wonder, what exactly was Jesus getting at? So several times his disciples would say, Jesus, what does that mean? What are you getting at? This is one of the times where he answered them. So for you and me today, there is no mystery. We're going to read his answer to that question. If you're following along, jump to verse 11. Jesus said, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Okay, that's clear. The seed that's being put out, God's word. The ones along the path are those who have heard, but then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, well, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Y'all can see where we're going, don't you? As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold fast in an honest and good heart, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. If you are looking at your Bible, there's probably a title for this passage. Now, the title didn't come from Jesus. It came from an editor. And for some reason, most of your Bibles will call this the parable of the sower. Not a good title. Because the sower 
only shows up once at the very beginning and is really not the star of the parable. The star of the parable is the soil. It'd really be better to call it the parable of the soils. The soils represent the response that people have to God's word. In other words, the condition of their heart, the response they have to God's word. And so if you can imagine with me that you go down to Home Depot and you buy four matching plants and you bring them home, but you plant them in four different areas of your yard. One of them you put in a, a, a flower bed that's got beautiful topsoil that's got all those little round beads that are like fertilizer or plant food stuff, you know. You got another spot over here and it's, it's like all dry and hard and crunchy. looks like a sandbox and nothing is growing. So you put one of the plants there and you keep doing that with all four plants. Here's what I can promise you. You are going to get four completely different results. One of those plants is going to grow up big and beautiful. One's going to die. Another one is just going to be looking all sick and sad like in two months. And some of you are like, everything I plant looks sick and sad, Jimmy. Well, look. That's another sermon for another day. But my point is it's all about the soil. The plants are the same. The fertilizer is the same. The Home Depot is the same. Everything is the same. What changes is the soil. And so for our purpose today, we're only going to look at one aspect of this parable. And that is the idea that some people had a response that made them mature. Because that's the response we want to learn about, right? Some had a response that didn't work at all. Some had a response that left them immature, but some had a response that was mature. Let me remind you what we just read. It said, some, as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. They stay immature. Even though they heard the word of God, they, they wanted to respond to it, but they got choked by other things. Can I just ask you, how many of you have cares in life? Man, some of y'all got way too easy of a life. Let me try this again. How many of y'all have cares, worries, and problems? There we go. How many of y'all have riches? That's funny. A lot less hands. Like, nope, nope, pastor, that one's not on my problem list. Okay. How about chasing pleasure, you know, like dark chocolate, you know, that kind of stuff? All right. Anyway, so here's the point. Even though you don't think you have riches, we all have cares and riches and pleasures. And, and what happens is the pursuit of all that stuff causes us to stay spiritually immature, but Jesus said the solution is this, the others who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart, they bear fruit. Two dots that we need to connect. The first dot is actually what we learned in part two, and Jesus just said it again. Our spiritual maturity will be determined by our relationship to God's word. Did you get that one? He said, look, those who take the word and hold it fast with an honest and sincere heart, they actually bear fruit. They become mature. Here's the, the, the truth we cannot get away from. Your relationship to God's word is going to determine your spiritual maturity. When I preached it last week, it's a hard message. It's a really hard, if, if for those of you that didn't hear the whole series and you want to go back and catch it out, look, part one, it was, it was inspirational. And today, fun. Part two, offensive. I'm just going to be honest, I had more people walk out while I preached part two than most anything else that I preach because we actually had to ask the question, are we going to do what we want? Are we going to do what the world says is okay? Are we going to do what God says? Our spiritual maturity will be determined by our relationship to God's word. I'm not going to re-preach that, so we're going to move on. The second dot that we need to connect is our spiritual maturity will be revealed. In other words, people can see if you're spiritually mature. 
They can see if you're spiritually mature. So the third part of our series, your third takeaway is this. When you're spiritually mature, you bear fruit. When you're spiritually mature, you bear fruit. Now, let me explain that because what does bear fruit mean? I mean, bearing fruit, you only hear it if you talk to a landscaper or a pastor. Nobody else goes around talking about bearing fruit, okay? Well, it's the picture Jesus just gave us. And so if you could just imagine you plant a fruit tree in your yard. If you plant a fruit tree, you actually expect fruit to grow that you can eat, right? So let me help everybody out here in case you uh, are new to Columbia. Maybe you just imported from Ohio. Half our church did, okay? Uh, this is not Ohio anymore. And uh, there's something you need to know about Columbia. Apple trees don't bear apples here. I did not realize our climate isn't, it just doesn't do that. And so when I first moved here, I wanted an apple tree in the backyard. I could not figure out why Home Depot and Lowe's were always out of apple trees. Apparently they knew something I didn't know. So I had to drive like into North Carolina to find a Home Depot that had an apple tree. I bring it back here and I plant it and guess what? Never got apples. But anyway, I'd finally figured out we can grow plums here. So I got a plum tree, right? And so that's what we're, we're looking at. Two things we need to know about trees. Okay, first of all, a mature tree bears fruit. An immature tree does not. When I planted my plum tree, you know what I got the next spring? Nothing. That's what an immature tree is. When it doesn't bear fruit, you know, oh, that's a young tree. It's not mature yet. But you can expect a mature tree to give you fruit. It was about the third year we finally started seeing little round things grow on it in the spring. My son loved plums. He was young at the time. And so I couldn't wait, man. Like, we're having plums this year. I was so excited. But by the time that thing grew, the birds and the bugs got all my plums. We have, to this day, never gotten a plum off that tree. So actually, I just cut it down. I'm just done with that. They ain't going to keep feeding the birds and the bugs. They can figure that out on their own. So I got azaleas now. They're pretty. All right. <laughs> Second thing we need to know about trees and bearing fruit is the type of fruit tells you the type of tree. Now, that's obvious, but follow me. Most people, now my dad grew up in the country farming. Most people can't do what my dad could do. Most people cannot look at a tree by the bark and tell you what kind of tree it is. Most of us actually need to see the fruit. Most of us need to see an apple to go, oh, that's an apple tree. Most of us need to see a peach to go, oh, that's a peach tree, right? My point is very obvious. We're supposed to be Jesus trees. People are supposed to see Jesus like things growing and coming out of us. Because if all they see is the human bark, they may not be convinced that there's any fruit to grow that looks like Jesus. They need to see Jesus' fruit to know that this is a Jesus tree. Without Jesus' fruit, you're a human tree. And we're supposed to be a Jesus tree bearing fruit is what Jesus is talking about. And so very simply, what I'm going to do in close, and we're going to baptize people, is I'm going to show you three types of Jesus fruit that people should be able to look at you and go, oh, you're a Jesus tree. Amen. And so I'll just let you, as we go through these, look in the mirror yourself and say, hmm, is that true of me? The first one is that our character should be Jesus fruit. Our character should look like Jesus. Matter of fact, very specifically, when we make Jesus our king, he gives us his spirit. Anybody who has declared Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit moves in. The Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Christ. What that means is that we have the spirit of Jesus living inside of us, helping us have the character Jesus had, the attitude Jesus had to do what Jesus did. People should see Jesus because of that. Let me show this to you. It's in Galatians. I'd love to just preach a whole sermon on this, but I'm not going to do it, so, but just follow this. It says, but the fruit 
of the Spirit of Christ. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That doesn't say if you're a Christian you try to do those things. It says that if the Spirit of Jesus lives inside of you, that's what grows. It starts to come naturally if you start letting the Holy Spirit be in charge, right? So again, I don't have time to preach the whole sermon on that. I would love to. I'm going to just ask you one question. When people describe you, do they use one of those nine words? Because you're supposed to be a Jesus tree. And Jesus had love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Look, if you want to know the truth, I'm just going to tell you, nobody has ever used the word patience and Jimmy in the same sentence. <laughs> and, and I'd like to tell you I'm repenting of that and working on it, but I am not. I just don't care. I mean, I'm only going to live to like 95. I got a lot of sermons to preach. People need to go to heaven, and I don't have time to sit in traffic. That's all I got to say about that one. But, but the other eight... I want people to say about me, and whether or not you, you care about patience, look, we should have the fruit of Jesus making us look like a Jesus tree. People should look at you and go, you're kind, you must be a Jesus tree. You're loving, you must be a Jesus tree. You're faithful, you do what you say you'll do and bring increase, you must be a Jesus tree. I'm going to move on. The second way that people should be able to look and see Jesus' fruit is in our lifestyle. And I want to make sure I understand or I explain something very clearly for you. Character, for today's sermon at least, is about your internal being. And when I use the word lifestyle, I'm talking about your external action. Do not miss this. For those of you that weren't paying attention, tune in. It is your internal being that creates the external action. For way too long, Christians have tried to behave and be good. They've tried to do the external action but they didn't have anything going on inside of them. And after a while, you figure out that that is exhausting to be good when you're not good. And you give up on God and church because you're tired of the pretend act. I want you to know I'm about to list some things that should be in our external actions, but it is not a list of how you should behave. It is a list of what comes out of you when Jesus is inside of you. All right, y'all with me on that one? So our lifestyle does change. Like your speech changes. The words that come out of your mouth change. When you are a Jesus tree, your words become wiser. The Bible tells us we're a fountain of wisdom because we've got the spirit of Christ. If we actually listen to him before we speak, your words are more life-giving. Look, let me just ask you this. When you talk, do people want to hear more or do they wish you would shut up and go away? It's very easy to figure out if your speech is life-giving. When you get into conflict, is your speech aimed at bringing the temperature in the room down and finding a resolution? Or are you helping bring the temperature up and just winning something? You know what I'm saying? Like, if we're Jesus trees, our speech changes. For Jesus trees, our relationships change. They should be God-honoring. That means... Some of us may need to make a relationship change. We may have someone in our lives with a certain role that God would not want for them to have in our lives. God defines some of our relationships. It changes some things. And not only that, our relationship should point us closer to Jesus. I'm not saying you shouldn't have non-Christians in your life, but your purpose is to help them find Jesus. 
Their purpose should not be to help you find fun on a Friday night without Jesus. If we're growing Jesus' fruit, we can see it in our moral choices. Our moral choices, like we tell the truth because Jesus is inside of us, even when it's hard. Sometimes it is hard to tell the truth, right? We, we honor God with our moral sexual choices. We honor God with our marriage choices. We don't lie, we don't cheat, we don't steal, even on your tax return. Sad that I have to point that out, but do you know how many Christians say, Jimmy, that doesn't count because the IRS is the devil? The IRS is not the devil. I'm not exactly saying they're bearing any Jesus fruit either, but when we got Jesus fruit growing, people can see it in our finances because we're generous. We're not the last one to offer to pick up the check at lunch. You know, like when the waitress or a waiter comes and you went out with some coworkers, like, how are we splitting the check? And you're like, <laughs> Jesus followers are like, let me bless you. I got that. People with Jesus fruit are storing up treasure in heaven. We talked about that in the series already. People with Jesus fruit honor God as their provider, even though that's tough sometimes. People bearing Jesus fruit obey God. And that's a four-letter word nobody wants to hear. We obey God, but that's what Jesus did. He said, I do what the Father is doing. I say what the Father told me to say. I can only do what my Father is doing. He obeys. And then I'm going to give you the third one, and we'll be done. When fruit is growing that makes you look like a Jesus tree, people can see it in your life purpose. You see, before you made Jesus your king, all you had to live for was you. You. And that meant all those years you were focused on getting stuff, accomplishing things, and chasing pleasure. The Bible tells us that's actually the only three things the world has to offer. is stuff, accomplishment, and pleasure. And until you meet Jesus, that's what life is all about. Let me go get a job. Let me work hard. Let me get paid more because I need more stuff. Let me figure out how to enjoy it the most. Let me figure out how to make people think the most of me. I'm not telling you degrees or money or, or things are bad. I'm just saying they're all secondary. They're all the result of living a God-filled purpose and being loving, joyful, patient. I, anyway, I can't turn those into adverbs like that. I'm not that smart. But here's the point. Our purpose changes once we make Jesus. Once we make him the king of our lives, it's no longer for us to get out of bed every Monday to figure out how to get more stuff and accomplish more things and to impress more people and to chase more pleasure. That's not the goal anymore. The goal is to make Jesus famous. What that means is that the world should be a better place because Jesus' trees are growing in it. Is the world a better place because you're here? People's lives should be better because you are a Jesus tree in their life. Are you bringing something better in their lives? People around you should know that they can be forgiven for their sins, be right with God, not have to wake up with guilt and shame every day and regret what they did last week because they have a God who loves them. And you have the answer. So you have a purpose now to make Jesus famous to your friends Everything changes when you're a Jesus tree and they can see the fruit. So I'll, I'll leave you with a story of my own embarrassment. Hopefully it'll inspire you. I became a Jesus follower officially when I was 16 and in high school. I'd grown up going to church. Most of you have heard that story. But I began to read my Bible and I wanted to do some right things and do what God said. And I went off to college after that. 
And when I went to college, I became a music major. And one of the first things I got to do the next summer was to go back home to my high school and help teach band camp. And, and while I was in college, because I was in college and, and actually had a little bit of money and a, and a car, I could go to a store. And this was in the 90s when Christian t-shirts were cool. Y'all remember? Anybody in here old enough to remember when Christian t-shirts were cool? So I bought a shirt and it said, Mary had a little lamb who died for our sins. Cool shirt, by the way. So I wore this one day to band camp and somebody that I'd gone to high school with said, oh man, that's so cool. I didn't know you were a Christian. I was a Christian for the last three years of high school. I was a Christian when I was the band captain. It's not like this person didn't know me, but they didn't see any fruit. So I'm just gonna ask you, if someone looked at your life, would they see a human tree or a Jesus tree? They can only tell by what fruit's growing on it. With that being said, I want to give everybody here an opportunity to do what happened in this parable. Sower went out, sowed the seed, the word of God. I wanna make sure some of you who have never responded to the word of God that's been sown in your life, that you can do that right now. So here we go, 30 seconds. God loves you. Every human has done something that is not perfectly godly in their life, even if it was only that one day in third grade, every one of us has done something ungodly. It was either something we said, something we did, or something we thought. We call that sin, it's not a fancy word, that's what the Bible labels. Anything that is not godly, sin. And God loved you so much that he wanted to solve that sin problem for you. He sent his son Jesus, who lived a perfect life on the earth, who was crucified on the cross, and raised from the dead. That's what we'll be celebrating next weekend at Easter. But as an innocent man who had no sins, when he was crucified on the cross, his blood shed could pay for your sins and mine. It's what we call the free gift of salvation. When we receive what he did for us and we say, thank you, Jesus, that you died for me, I want you to be my savior. I want you to be my king. We call it the free gift of salvation. But some of you have never received the gift which means right now, the sower has thrown out the seed and we've waited to see where it's gonna land. I wanna give some of you an opportunity to be good soil and let it land in your heart and change your heart, that you can go to heaven and be right with God. Would you all pray with me? If you have never received the gift of salvation and would like to make that change right now, simply pray with me something like this to yourself and God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me and so now, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me, and I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer here today, God, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life bearing great fruit in your kingdom. Amen, would everybody help me celebrate with them?